This is always the most crowded breakout session of the afternoon of the ACB convention because we all wanted to get a little bit more time with our first speaker. But we also, in ACB tradition, test, 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 hello. I don't think my, this one is, hold, one moment, I'm checking the, I'm checking the remote mic so that I can do what we always do, introduce the people in the room as the first order of business. So I'm testing the second one. There it is. This is the roving mic. Do I have somebody who's going to be my mic runner? Thank you. There you go. So, again, my name is Brian Charlson. I'm president of Library Users of America. And as we go around, if you just say your name and what affiliate you are here with. So you may be a Lua member. You may be a BRL member. You may be a member of the association. Uh, how's it go now these days? AABD. Association of Blind Teachers, you get the idea. So, if you would do that for me, and if you're more than one, say them both, or th all three of you. That fits you. Go for it. Tracy George from Atlanta, Georgia. Kim Carmichael, Richmond, Virginia. Linda Adams, Atlanta, Georgia. They're not telling me they're affiliates, are they? Oh. Did I did it just ask that? Let me try this again. Unaffiliated. Starting over. They may not, but if they are, please do tell us. Alice McGrath, Northern California, Lua. Joan Cox, and I'm with Lua. I'm from San Angelo, Texas. Nikki Kobe, Forest Lake, Minnesota. Diane Harms, San Jose, California. <coughs> Teresa Curry, Gonzales, Louisiana, Lua, and BRL. Venkatesh Chari, North Andover, Massachusetts, from Orbit Research. Um, Barbara McDonald, Phoenix, Arizona, oh. and I'm thinking of joining Lua. Jean Kelcher, Madison, Wisconsin. Virginia Dublay, ACB of Wisconsin. Steve Mendelson, San Leandro, California, and Lua. Judy Wilkinson, Vice President of Lua on the board of BR BRL. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm eating a cookie. <coughs> <coughs> <laughs> and president of Kalua. <laughs> Lisa Bush, and I'm from Alexandria, Virginia. <laughs> Patty Slavy, Arcadia, Wisconsin, BRL. Gilly Presley, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, the uh, AABT. Valerie Stannard, Kansas City, Missouri, and I'm a Diet Coke-aholic. 
But actually, I'm on the scholarship committee. Bonnie Adams, Bay State Council of the Blind, a possible member of LUA, and Friends in Art. Alan Casey, uh, LUA and AABT. Donna Siren, St. Louis, Missouri, BRL and LUA. Brenda Uptain, Talladega, Alabama, AABT. Joan Garrett, president of the Alabama affiliate of ACB. Harriet Stanton, ACB of Indiana. Steve Stanton, ACB. Norman Dalkey from Oklahoma, Lua and BRL. Jay Dowden, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Charles Mossop, Western Canada. Privileged to be a guest at this convention. <laughs> Kathy Devon, uh, looking for someone to pay my dues for Lua. <laughs> and uh, Bay State Council. I'm Kim Charlson. I'm a librarian, so I am Lua, but I am Braille, and, but I'm not a teacher. But I work for a school. Does that count? <laughs> Perkins School for the Blind. Um, hi, this is Rita Delek from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and I am a member of all three organizations. My name is Josette Kernahan. I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I'm a member of WCB, um, BRL, and LUA. Suzanne Pauluk from Crystal, Minnesota, and I'm a member of ACB Minnesota. Sharon Strakowski, Worcester, Mass., and I'm a member of LUA. And I have to say, if Martha's in the room, I'm from Delaware originally. <laughs> okay, here we go. Well, I'm Carolyn Burley. I paid dues to Lua at one of these meetings about three, three years ago and never heard from them since. So I'm not a member. I'm a member of CCLBI and AABL. Virginia Miller from Del Rapids, South Dakota, um, ACB of South Dakota. I'm a retired teacher and retired rehab teacher. Lorraine Olson, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, BRL. Shelley Hart, um, South Dakota Association of the Blind, and um, just joining BRL. I'm Nona Graves. I'm a life member of both BRL and LUA. Life member. Uh, Kay Crohan, AABT, um, president of AABT, <laughs> and um, LUA and Braille and Bay State 
and I'm from Arlington Ness and teach at Perkins. Hi, I'm Stephanie Hall, retired teacher, and I belong to AABT and Minnesota affiliate of ACB. I'm Desi Noller, Phoenix, Arizona, BRL. Donald, Donald Noller, Phoenix, Arizona, BRL. Teddy Joy Remhild, uh, Burbank, California, and I'm a member of Kalua, but I'd like to pay dues to someone here today for Lua. Gloria O'Neill, ACB, Iowa. <laughs> Sandy Ruginich, BRL. Sally Replinger, ACB, Iowa. Sally Replinger, ACB. I'll try one more time, yes. There you go. Sally Replinger, ACB, Iowa. Hi, I'm Mickey Marilyn Prayan, uh, ACB member of Wisconsin and Ohio, and um, let's see, uh, BRL life member and uh, new member of Lua. Um, hi, I'm Mary Stiff from. Uh, I'm a member of NDAB and uh, ACB affiliate. And I'm so excited because I was just newly elected vice president of our affiliate. <laughs> Sheila Young, Florida. I'm BRL and Lua. There were three people in the back here that just came in. They just came in. I'm Rick Lewis, Washington Council of the Blind from Seattle. Kathy Farina from Albany, New York. Adam Rushful, Louisville, Kentucky, BRO, and Lua Treasure, who is happy to take money if you find a source. <laughs> And last but least, uh, Mr. Heller, unofficially and unaffiliated with the twice exceptional Minnesota Statute 120B15, and the print disabled, the Higher Education Opportunity Act of 2008. Uh, Ralph Smitherman, Brandon, Mississippi, BRL, Lua. And that's, that's, that's it. it. How's that for a long register? Well, I've got one more name. I'm slipping behind Martha, passing my chair, and kneeling down at the feet. Of, no, I wasn't doing that. He didn't. I, I'm I'm uh, I'm Paul Edwards, and I'm president of BRL, and 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 myself and Brian, and Ms. Crohan would like to welcome all of you here. Oh, really? All right.
All right, you're so kind. So Brian has said that, that because I've been bad, <laughs> he's going to reward me by giving me the opportunity of introducing our guest speaker. So um, most of you were, were at the general session this morning and had an opportunity uh, to, al to already hear Martha Harmon party. And most of you will also be saying, why doesn't he just shut up? and let her talk. Um, so that's precisely what I'm going to do. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to all of you Martha Harmon Party. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's so kind. You have no idea how much that means to me. You really don't. It's just lovely. Um, so, yeah, just I guess this is just a time for you guys to fire away with any questions you have. I say go for it. I might say that's none of your business. But, um, <laughs> but no, really, you know, what I always like to tell my students is the only stupid question is the unasked question. So somebody's got her hand up already. She's just ready to go. I wish I could remember your name, but I won't pretend to do <laughs> I can also repeat questions too if you don't want to have to be up and down the whole time because I'm sure we can hear I can hear you in here and then I can repeat the question there you go never mind never mind who has their hand up um, right in the third row just one more yeah she was first hi um, I'm Kathy Devon from Massachusetts and Hi, Kathy. Hi, and I'm retired now, so I get all the more time to read with my Victor stream, and I love it. And you yeah. are, every time I look for a new book, and I, oh, good, it's Martha. Oh. And when they did that thing and stopped giving you the Rourke books, I just about had, it was like 2 in the morning, and I couldn't no. sleep. And I, I and I heard it, and I went, no. I know. I was like, I was, literally, it, it really broke my heart. Like, I... You know, for of course, you know, of course, I took it personally first. Like, what did I do wrong? And so I my question—that's yeah. my question. Why did they do it? You know, and also I want to tell you, I love your Irish accent. It's grand. Oh, thank you. Very kind. All right. Uh, <laughs> I um I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, is there anyone from DC in this room? <laughs> is this a safe space? Um, <laughs> You know, we, I don't have any idea. I just, um, there's, you know, there's the, there's the question of commercial recordings being used. Also, um, they're supposed to be, I kind of stay out of it because I just want to, I just want to do my job to the best of my ability, you know, but there's supposed to be these different levels and like T1 is, that means that the same person has to record the book. And, and my understanding was that's how that stood. And, I, re I really was. I was so saddened, Kathy, when, yeah, because I love them. I love them all. I totally feel you. So that's why. Well, you know, Donna, as I mentioned this morning, this lovely, lovely patron, Donna Russell Grauman, did that. She wrote to D.C. and she got a bunch of people, and it, it was kind of cool. And they. And they were good. They gave me the rest for a little while. And then once again, you know, they diverted one. But I think I'm back on track with them. I know I did the last one. Okay. 
brotherhood and death. See, yeah. people are like, what's the last one? I'm like, it has in death in the title. I know that much. <laughs> it's hard to keep up with. Um, you know, when I have to read all the titles, it's so funny because it's like red and dead, blue and, de- and death, green and death, <laughs> running and death, sleeping and death. So anyway, thank you, Kathy. And, you know, I mean, I don't think it ever hurts if, you know, they take it away again. Donna proved that the voices are heard. So, but yeah, that was, you know, you just kind of, you kind of take what you're assigned. You don't kind of take it. You take what you're assigned, but I was heartbroken when I, but it looks, I think we're back on track. I think, I think, I think. Me too. Thank you for caring. Thank you. Um, yeah, there's up here in the, with a black shirt in the second row. Yes, you. Okay, it's coming. It's a coming. Hi, Martha. This is Josette uh, Kernahan from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And I I would like to say, first of all, that I've read tons of books that you've narrated. I've enjoyed each and every one of them. And um, what I really like about your narrating is you bring all the characters to life, expression, accents, everything. Thank you. That's fabulous. Now, my question is, um, I just recently reread... the little house books that you read. Uh-huh. And I read all the ones about Rose and Laura and yes. all that. And you did a fabulous job with those. But what I wanted to comment on is, I guess this must have taken place before NLS stopped um, uh, allowing you narrators to sing. And you sang all of the uh, pioneer songs in those books. And I really enjoyed it. just brought so much more to those books. And I thank you so much. That was great. I would, I would love to say thank you, but I don't know that that was me singing because my my instruction has always been because for you did though. I mean, it was you. I know it was you. <laughs> no, no, but no, you read the books. <laughs> I did read the books. Yeah, I, there's there's copyright issues when it comes to singing, and sometimes it's so silly because they'll be singing Happy Birthday, and we have to say Happy Birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. And everybody knows the dang tune, but we're not allowed to sing it. So, well, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there, they say it's changing. I don't know. We don't always get all the updates, but it's, sometimes I'm glad because I have no idea how the song is supposed to go. But a lot of times when I do, I'm like, oh, can I just sing it? It's almost impossible not to if it's one you know. I'm Mickey Pran, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, I saw Laura Generelli when she was oh, talking about sure. it, and she said that she sang, she had permission to sing them. She got permission. Okay. Yes, she did. So, yeah, I've and, I've just was always told no. And thank so. you for your marvelous reading. And I I pick up a book of yours, and I know the characters because of the voices you have. Oh, thank you, thank you. That's that means so much to me to hear that. Thanks. Yeah, I figured, you know, let's make it fun for everybody. I mean, it's more fun for me to engage, and I hope it's more fun for the readers. Right there, right, you're right in front of somebody who's had her hand up. My question is, how do you get in touch to let 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 the, the uh, reader know and, or the librarian, how do you, where do you do to put your complaints in, or where do you, you know, if I want to <laughs> let some, somebody know that they're a great reader and I really enjoy them, how do I do that? Um, well, I often get things through the NLS in D.C., so people um, just contact them directly. I'm at uh, Talking Book 
publishers in Denver, and you know, there's a bunch of us there that you probably well, there, there's there are fewer of us because another somebody from from Talking Books split off and started a new company um, in Denver. But um, um, I can I'm happy to give out my email address if anybody wants it. Um, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, no 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 email bombs, please. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, through NLS is where you can the NLS just it just let them know. I know that's what Donna did when they when the the JD Rob books went away for me, um, and they can they'll they'll route uh, letters or anything to individual readers at the different studios. And so the, yeah. this is Kim. Hi, Kim. Speaking with my NLS regional librarian hat on, I can tell Good. you that officially, what NLS likes you to do is. Let your local regional talking book library people know you have a comment um, and ask them to pass it on. And we do have a way to pass on reader feedback about narrators who are fabulous, narrators who are stinky if you don't <laughs> like them, uh, books that are fabulous, yeah. books that are stinky if yep. you don't like them. Yep. So you can share that and ask that they pass it along and they will do that. Thank you, Kim. That's good to know because I didn't know that and. So did you hear that, everybody? Just your local library. Remember how we used to say at the end, that recording, if it's contact, yeah, yeah. They, now they just say, there's no more pieces of strings or rubber bands or anything. Although sometimes I, on automatic pilot, I still go into that ending, and if it's a new monitor, they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing. I didn't say anything. And you will be, you'd be amazed at how many times I screw up that ending, which, you know, it's been, I think... Um, uh, Donna keeps track of my books. I think I've done about 3,200. And I will still do the wrong ending. I'm like, sorry, it's my first time. <laughs> really. Martha? Oh, yes. My name is Judy Wilkinson. Hi, Judy. I'm, I'm from California. I'm a retired English teacher. Nice. And I read hundreds of books a year. Nice. And I have every title I've read in a little list from 1997. Wow. Your name appears many, many times. Oh. But I'm going to put you on the spot okay. and ask you yes. to please oh, no. construct a little bit of that dialogue <gasps> between that those Brits, that Irishman, that oh, Scotsman, you would not do that and to the me. UK. <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to see a narrator cry? Is that your goal? <laughs> Is this public humiliation day or what? <laughs> so you're asking me to come up not only with the dialect but with some text that <laughs> okay so an Irishman walks into a bar and he sees a Scotsman and he says to the Scotsman how are you doing today and the Scotsman says I'm doing fine how are you doing today and then a British man walks into the bar and says what are you two talking about and the Irishman says <laughs> Oh, you're all very, very kind. I see, I see a waving hand up front, uh, second row on your left. Yes, you. You're about to get the mic. Here it's coming. I just wondered if you were feeling at all uneasy with the commercial things that are coming on to Bard. <laughs> it's a little scary. Yeah, I mean, it is. Let's, yeah. let's face it. We all, you know, it's been, that's been one of the biggest revolutions. When I started this, you know, books on tape were not just for the sort of general public. Commercial books on tape were not a, as huge a thing. And 
Yeah, I mean, oh gee, should we have Meryl Streep or Martha Harmon Pardee record the book? <laughs> That's a no-brainer. <laughs> um, but you know, I just, I just have to believe. Like we, you know, we get some of the more maybe, uh, rem- you know, less-known books and. I don't know. I, you know, I'm an actor too, and and that's a those are you know that's a culture of scarcity. There's way more actors than there are parts. I just gotta. I just I just put one foot in front of the other and and know that know that what you know I've been doing and what my friends have been doing and Eric, it's an important it's an important thing to be doing. And I just I just put my faith in the fact that anything that's for the good of that many people is, is going to be supported in one way or another. You know, we're, we're not going to get all of them. I haven't, we don't get the big titles anymore. I don't care. I don't, I don't really care. Like I just want to, I just want to keep doing this because I just want to stay connected to all of you in any way. So it's true. It's true. Yeah, I hope not. I hope not. All right, Sally, you're on. Hi. Hi. This is Sally Ripfinger from Iowa. Hi, Sally. I noticed, though, too, like in the endings of the book, it doesn't say put a rubber band or string. I know they changed it, Sally. They changed it to put a note in there. Yeah, or to contact your local. Yeah, contact your. Yeah. Right. Right. It's just a change and, and I'm I'm gradually getting used to, to it. And my question is <clears throat> though, like you put notes in the boxes. Yeah. In that male people at the post office may tend to open those up to see if it's truly free matter for the blind or handicapped. Oh, I see. You know, um, is there somebody in the room that can speak more to that? I, I, you know, I don't know about the particulars, but I see what you're saying. They're saying, why are you trying to sneak something by us? I, I would just, I would just, does it happen frequently? Is there, no? I'm sorry, Sally, yeah, I just don't have a, an, an exact answer. You know, have you do? Has anybody read Choice in here? Okay, for for years, I would have to read this ending announcement about the gray versus the green box, and I'm like, okay, come on, just a minute here, people. Really, <laughs> you know? And and finally, they finally this last time I read it, they changed it, and it, it's more texturally. But I'm like, gray and green? Are you kidding me? So. Anywho. Anyway, yes, in the second row, okay. with the mic. Hi. Okay. Uh, are you, um, I'm Lorray Olson from Hi, Sioux Lorraine. Falls, South Dakota. I just want to say I love Goldie Schultz. Oh, me too. I've, I've read about uh, she's. Uh, it's about a caterer. Yes, and you yeah. know what's really funny is that my mom went to college with the author. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's like a yeah. cool small world thing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, thank you. She, I haven't I haven't recorded anything of hers in a while. I wonder well, if she's doing commercial stuff. I more. read the the number sixteen and and um, what's her 
husband's Tom, Tom wanted her to right. wanted them to think about having a baby. Oh, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I haven't read the last book, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I haven't had one. I saw one coming up on my shelf. It's another, it's called Wedding Cake Mysteries, but it's not Goldie oh, Schultz. Okay. It's somebody else. Yeah, they're very good. Everybody, everybody is a mystery solver these days. You can be a quilter and a mystery solver. You can be a renovator and a mystery solver. <laughs> I think I'm going to be a narrator and a mystery solver. <laughs> I'll write my own books and I'll record them. No one else can record them. Go away, Meryl Streep. This is mine. <laughs> Martha, yes. show that here again. Hey. I ask every narrator this just to get interesting feedback. Okay. What is the most hilarious thing that's ever happened to you when you if you make a, a mistake or whatever what is the funniest thing that's ever uh, happened uh, to you <laughs> I, uh, in I regard have, to that sort of thing i have an answer for that uh-huh. <laughs> but it's 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 not very ladylike <laughs> or or appropriate or or it's oh it was so it was so it was so bad and it actually was kind of chilling because when okay so I record obviously when I'm recording then someone is working with me and they're catching my mistakes and we fix them on the spot and then somebody um monitor somebody um audits the book uh through and through side side you know every side all the way through and then somebody goes back and QC's it which means they listen to the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes of the side um, at, at regular speed, and then the and then the remaining. I'll do the math quick. Seventy minutes uh, at high speed, and catch anything that wasn't catched in the in the audit. Well, um, <laughs> you guys are all going to walk out and be. Don't ever bring that woman back oh. here again. Um, <laughs> so so it was a book, and it was like it was one. Do you remember the Carrie May Hollister? Is that right, Carrie Hollister? Corey, yes, hey. Corey, Corey Bell Hollister, thank you. So I actually uh, had a good sort of review of American history. Corey Bell was everywhere, you guys. Corey Bell was there when Lincoln was shot. Corey Bell was there when the railroad was put in. Corey, <laughs> Corey Bell was there when we landed on the moon. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, but it was it was one of the it was and sometimes sometimes for me, my personal taste, subjective, subjective, it got a little saccharine, just a little bit saccharine sometimes. So um, I was reading one of these books, and I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened, but I had a little, I don't think it was the text even, but it, something in the booth must, oh, maybe for a while my booth, I don't know a lot about um, electricity, but when it would rain, water would come through my light fixtures, and I know that that's not good. I'm not a skilled electrician, but I know that water dripping through your light fixtures is not a good situation. So I think that's what happened. So I just let fly with a string of words, and it was like right in the middle of this book. Well, the scary, the really scary thing was it wasn't caught in the original audio. So... So in the Q, in the QC, in the QC. So when we do corrections, right, um, we don't get paid at all for that time. So we want to read as cleanly and uh, and artistically and uh, efficiently as possible, and and minimize the corrections. And then when we have the corrections, we want that to be an efficient process. Get it done. Move on back to the money making portion of the day. So the 
so the the uh, corrections sheet was very vague, and it just it told us the page number, it told us where to go, and it just like just listen. And I just was like, oh, I hate it when they do that because how are we supposed to be able to know what the correction is? Blah 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 blah. And they're like, I don't know. Let's so we put play, and it was very very clear. <laughs> What needed to happen? And the thing is, is that... I know. Well, it might exist somewhere. But it was just like, oh, no. What? What if? What if? And and in fact, there is a reel of my outtakes, yes. How do we get that? No, sir. No. No. I can't even get my hands on it. I want it first. So that's... Yeah, so we fixed it, and I've tried to keep my outbursts down to a minimum. Oh. Yeah, there's more questions. There's some hands up. Here we go. Um, okay, I have a double question. Double. Okay, do you have a favorite story that you read your children, and do you oh. have a narrator that you admire? Oh, favorite story I read my children. There's so many, so many. I love from... The Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basilie Frank Weiler. Even though they were old enough to read it, I read it to them just before their first trip to New York, and that was <laughs> magical. Um, golly, you know, I was just so lucky to be brought up with books, and I worked at a bookstore. And in fact, I worked at a bookstore before I was married or had kids and spent all my paycheck on children's books because they are so exquisite. Um, so I would say that one. I love The Little Prince. Um, uh, the, you know, the girls would have favorites, and so they would become favorites of mine as well. I just love that. There's just nothing like that time spent together. Yeah. And then what was the second part? Favorite narrator. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on. I learned at the feet of Yvonne Fair-Tesler. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep. I got to, I, I, I monitored her, and that was the best thing that could happen to me. And Jill Ferris. Yes, yes. And my, my dearest boyfriend of all time, and, and you know, Eric was, knew about it and couldn't do a thing about it, was Bob Boots. Bob Boots. Love Bob Boots with all my heart and soul. Miss him every single day. So, yeah, I worked with Bob. I worked with Bob Askey. Yeah, I got to work with some of the big cheeses, and it, it, it definitely. I mean, I, I'm very grateful for that because it really helped shape me as a as a, a narrator. Um, at Talking Books, um, Eric is there, and let's see who else is there. Bill Wallace, who I adore. Um, Chuck Benson's gone, unfortunately. He moved on. I love him to pieces. Um, who else is still there? Kristen is not. She, she split off to go to the new studio. Um, Mayor Trevathan does both studios. Um, yeah, she is. Chuck just retired. He got to do that. He got to do that. We let him. Kicking and screaming. I know. He was one of my favorites, too. I had a big crush on him. So we have some more questions in the back, it looks like. Hands up. There's a woman that's been standing against the wall who's had her hand up for a while. All the way to the right-hand side of the room. My left, your right. She's standing up, and she's been very patient. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Um, I actually wanted to tell a story on Martha and Eric. Um, I was involved in starting... My name is Deanna Noriega. Oh, 
Hi. Hi. I lived in Colorado at yeah. one time, Hi. and there was a small group of us that had started a guide dog group, Rocky Mountain Guide Dog Users. Yes. And we invited Eric and Martha to come to our little mini conference, and it was their daughter's birthday. And they got special permission from the birthday girl to come and read to us because she thought it was really important. Yeah. Because her parents should go read to the blind people. So she postponed <laughs> she postponed her birthday till the following weekend. And I wanted to thank Martha again so much for having oh, such a wonderful uh, no, child. The thank the thanks are from us to you. Our girls have only been they've come to a couple of conferences with me. They've only been enriched by contact with this amazing community. They've only learned and they've only gotten to be better people because of it. So the thanks are all from us to you all. But no question about it. No question about it. Who else? There's someone with their hand up, right? I can't, I can't do backwards thinking. Can it's I, to my right. <laughs> I'm an I actor. Just, I should know. Stage left, audience right. Can I just ask this and, and pass it along because I keep passing the microphone to other people. <laughs> um, how long, how did you get involved with narrating in the first place? Through Eric. Um, when we first got, we're getting to know each other, we were doing a show together and um, I was like, what do you do? And he told me, and I was like, what is that? What? I'd never heard of it. So, um, and then he said, you know, well, you should make a tape. And I thought that was like a line, a pickup line. <laughs> um, but then the studio director said the same thing. Uh, so, um, yeah, it was always through him. And, um, and I, I'm, you know, I'm grateful to him for a lot of things. And that's, this is certainly one of the biggest. So... This is Adam Rushable, and I'd like to ask narrators, do you have any hobbies outside the work, such as, you know, do you play first chair kazoo in a jug band <laughs> or anything like that? I'm a, um, I'm a, a working actor in Denver. Um, I'm going to tell you something now that I, I'm only going to tell you because we're all here in Minnesota and none of you will be in Denver in two weeks. Um, <laughs> for the first time in 23 years, I'm doing a musical. Okay. I'm finding out why it's been 23 years since I've done a musical. I, you know, give me Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Give me the gla give me the hardest role on the planet, and I'll take it. I am terrified right now. In I'm, we're doing the Adams Family. I'm playing Morticia, <laughs> and literally. As I'm here, because I'm missing, and that's why I could only be here for a short time. I would have come for the whole dang thing if I could have, but my, my director said, because we open next weekend, they're literally like, last night I got changes in some choreography on my phone, so I'm, I'm upstairs in my hotel room like trying to relearn the choreography for this tango I'm doing. So um, between work and my two children who are now leaving me because they're selfish and want lives of their own. Um, <laughs> Um, so work and then theater is my other one. And, you know, I, I, there's other stuff I love. I love to read. I love to read. I do. I read at home all the time. So I'm a nerd like that. Um, different only in that I choose them. I, I like, I like, I really like fiction and I also like nonfiction. Um, but, um, gosh, when I get to read a book that I would, at work that I would read at home, that's like payday. Woo. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I don't know if you can explain this or not, but mm. I love the way that you do um, the male voices. And oh. I don't know how you thank do you. it. Can, is there any way you can describe you know, that to us? I, I, thank you for saying that because, you know, that's a, that's a tricky thing. And I, I have to give props to my... Um, my education, and uh, specifically what I studied at Northwestern, um, one of my favorite teachers was a woman by the name of Lilla Heston. And if you recognize the last name, it's because that was her half-brother, Charlton. Um, but you could not imagine two more different people. You know, he was big Mr. Beauty Man, and she was this tiny little... Um, but we we always talked about, and, and, and I think this is true for all characters, is that you... You try to portray the essence and not... Because I don't want to just talk like this, you know. Like, so, it's, so sometimes my male character's voices in terms of pitch it almost is at, at the same pitch or even a little higher than women. But it's more about cadence and, and hopefully just my... Like I just try to adjust my sort of mindset. Because um, I don't... Like, and I, don't, I, I think it's harder for men to do women's voices because they always... Let's face it, they always sound like they're trying to, you know, it always sounds a little condescending to me. And I used to, like, I used to, Eric and I would have <clears throat> discussions about this. Um, you know, but, but, but I really appreciate you saying that, Alice, because, you know, without trying to just sound like a, I'm a guy, you know, you, you still want to get across that dynamic. Um, oh, Mr. Rourke, you know, he's a sexy one, isn't he? Oh, darling Eve. <laughs> you will wear this dress, you will look lovely, and we won't hear another thing about it. <laughs> hi, in the front row with the microphone. Be still in my heart. Um, hi. hi. I'm, I'm Mary from Minot. Hi, Mary. Hi. Um, you know, you had got me laughing so hard this morning about the time we had the baby. Oh, I know. <laughs> Ah, that was so. But anyway, um, I'm just kind of curious to know how a narrator, when you've got a lot of foul language, mm -hmm. really gruesome killing, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. how mm -hmm. isn't mm -hmm. it kind of hard to get through that? I mean, yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, you, you know, have? violence is my biggest pet peeve. I really, I, I, and and my, and here's my thing. With, with especially with romance novels, I don't... I, I, listen, anytime anybody is reading, I'm for it. What I just don't understand sometimes, and I'm not... I swear to you, I'm not sitting on a soapbox right now, um, but I don't understand women writers that write these violent scenes against women. And I know that the nature of the genre, like, you know, in the in the romance novels, the, the heroine has to be sort of, let's face it, quasi-raped by the hero, and then she falls in love with... And I just... Ah, it just breaks my heart. Like, I just don't... And that's why I, I was telling somebody earlier, uh, I just recorded a book, and I, I know the author's first name is Lauren. Here's one of the bad things about... Remember in the old days with the tapes? Side 2, da-da-da-da, by da-da-da-da. Well, we don't do that anymore, so I don't know the name of the book anymore that I'm reading. Um, but uh, the rogue, R-O-G-U-E, not taken, was like, and it was like the character, she, the character was cool. You know, like the female lead, she was cool. Now, there was still some sex in it. 
I don't mind the sex. I don't look forward to it. I will. I have to tell you, it was so funny. One day, this kid was new. He was like 23. He was a student at University of Denver. And uh, can I use a really? Can I use, just use a word? Okay. Because this is what the author kept saying over and over and over and over again in this sex scene. So here's this kid. I'm old enough to be his mother easily, and. You know, he's kind of new at this job. He's rosy-cheeked. He's precious. And we finished this really explicit section. And, and I just, I mean, you know, you got to kind of make light of it. And I said, so, Jack, when you woke up this morning, did you think a 53-year-old woman was going to say the word cunt to you about 10 <laughs> times? Because he has no choice in the matter. And, you know, no. It's like, like, bring your daughter to work day. My mommy reads porn for a living. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it can be really uncomfortable. But the thing, I guess, the, I guess really the hardest thing is just like the violence. And violence against children. Oh, oh. And let me tell you, let me tell you, though. If there is an animal mentioned in a book, I'm like, don't you touch that animal. Do not touch that animal. You can kill every single person in this book, but stay away from the animal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no. I have another question for okay. you. Okay. Is there any one author that you do more reading for than another? Who? Um, is there any one author that I read more than another? You know, I, I love J.D. Robb when she comes through. Um, in the in the gr- bigger scheme of things, I would say not. Um, a lot of the romance authors are repeats, and I and I I'm going to admit that I can't name them necessarily off the top top of my head right now. Um, no, not so much. I would. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, as a, a writer with insufficient eyesight to read his own books and stories aloud. Let me just express to you, Martha, and and to to everyone here, my great admiration for the narration that you do and all your fellow narrators do. I try hard, as other writers do, to put life into the printed word. But when it's written and published, there it is just sitting there, a printed word. So I thank you for bringing forth the life that I try to put into my words. Well, well thank you. I mean, and thank you. We, we, we wouldn't have anything to do if it weren't for writers. So I hold, I hold you in the highest esteem, and I thank you very much. I, I, you know, sometimes when I'm reading a book, I just, I just say, how did they come up with this? It's, it's, it's so wonderful. It's, it's, a lot of the stuff I read is pretty formulaic, you know, but when, when those books come along that aren't, that that make you think about something you never thought of before, or that pre, cre, uh, or that present a, a human interaction that uh, that just zings right to your heart. Gosh, that to me is magic. As a as a, a as a narrator and just as a, someone who likes to read books. So thank you. I'm yeah sure. Did I? <laughs> Which one? Isabella Allende? No. Oh, that was amazing. That was such a great book. Oh, I love that book. I love that book. Yeah, I know, I know. Go figure. 
Okay, in the back, does somebody have the um, mic? Uh, yeah. I do. Hi. Rick Lewis. Hi, Rick. Uh, asking. Uh, well, uh, just before I ask, very quickly, I, re- I proofread Braille books at a library with a monitor, and I must say there are certainly uh, types of books that I'd rather not read, but, you know, you kind of have to read everything. So yeah. my question is, uh, are there types of books that, you consider kind of a maybe a slog versus a pleasure. Um, first of all, and I'm not, and this is, I, I believe this from the bottom of my soul. As far as I'm concerned, reading is just a great thing. So I don't, you know, like I don't really judge what the material is in theory. Um, pr- uh, uh, admittedly, and, and this is the truth, a well-written book is my favorite kind of book. I don't really, really care about the genre, but if I'm spending half my time saying, wait, wait, who's talking right now? Or, or what? Where are we? What? When did, what? Are we in a new, you know, state all of a sudden? That's the kind of stuff that makes me crazy. Um, I definitely feel an affinity more probably towards some types of, of literature than others, but as long as it's clear and as long as I feel like the writer cares and is invested in what they're doing, because that's not always the case, especially with some of these mass produced books, you know, it, you just feel like the, what it is, was it, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, misquote someone said about, uh, on the road, that's not writing, that's typing. Um, you know, but, did he say that about Kerouac? Um, I just, you know, if if I feel like, if I feel like the author's heart is in it, I'm I'm going to go there with them, absolutely. But, golly, and the other thing that's just, as you you're talking about proofreading, it's mind numbing in this day and age, but it's also not mind numbing because there's spell check, and spell check doesn't tech get, get grammar, and it doesn't get. Uh, I still call them homonyms, okay. Um, <laughs> Um, but it's amazing. I mean, we're talking Scribner's. We're talking, you know, uh, uh, Simon and Schuster. These big publishing companies, and the and the typos are rife. And we have some authority to correct them on the spot if it's obvious. But sometimes it's like, well, I guess that kind of works. So I guess I should leave it alone, you know. But yeah, yeah. So so to answer your question, sort of. Um, yeah, there there are some genres that I don't love, but if it's a well written book in that genre, bring it on, bring it on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, come on! Ask me which my favorite daughter is for Pete's sake. I have some favorites, but I don't have a favorite. You know, because it's like you like this for. I mean, I loved books that have stayed with me. Ahab's Wife, The Post Birthday World, The Little Book. Um, let's see what else. Uh, I love. Um, I love uh, Philippa Gregory. I love, um, yeah, I love the historical fiction where you can tell they've actually cared to do some research. Exactly, yeah. Um, who else? I love uh, Barbara Kingsolver. Um, yes. So, um, but then you know, I, I'm I love being surprised too. Like reading a book that I've someone I've never heard of, and I've learned like. A book that destroyed me, that I sobbed and sobbed, was the nonfiction book about the Lusitania that I read. It was stunningly beautiful. I wouldn't have picked that up, and I'm so glad that I read it. Yeah. Yeah. It isn't it great? It was beautiful. Yeah. 
Okay, where's the mic these days? Uh, there it is in the back. Yeah, hi, my name is uh, Rick Heller. Hi, Rick. Uh, affiliated, affiliated with the Twice Exceptional Print Disabled. Anyhow, uh, I appreciate uh, your time to come here. I myself was considered a non-traditional reader. However, since I started listening to my talking book radio, I'm really, uh, uh, really uh, interested in the uh, fictional books because the inferred reading was much more difficult mm -hmm. for me. Anyhow, the specific question has to do with authority and governance as relates to the talking book uh, uh, mandate to make sure that all the content is read out loud. What, who pushes on that? That's the first question. The second question, uh, as I follow along, uh, as these people speak on the radio, they usually don't read quotation marks. Obviously, you can change the tone of your voice for that, but if it says quotation uh, in there, you'll say it. However, they do not read the closed captionings, uh, nor my question would be, why not read Cole's captioning? Is that part of the mandate, uh, including uh, like pictures and books? Uh, Rick, pr pretty much everything I do is fiction and nonfiction, but it's not um, any kind of technical or textbooks. So um, there is a um, reading for the blind. I know does that. Um, so I. I Sometimes books have captions in them. If the the rule, as I understand it, is if the caption to the photograph has something um, explaining what's going on in the picture. In other words, if it's just a picture of me, you're not going to say Martha Herman Pardee, because that, who cares? But if it's a picture where Martha Herman Pardee is, you know, cutting a ribbon at the opening of the new Walmart, then you're going to read that because it's because it, you know what I'm saying. It's like it has a, additional information. Um, in terms of who decides that, I think it's just it's decided at NLS in Washington, and we just kind of go along with it. Um, but I appreciate your question, and yeah, I um, yeah, as I say, my it, it, some of those rules have changed over the years, but mostly it's uh, like footnotes we read um, sometimes, but not always. Um, I tell you what. What makes me cry sometimes is when I have to read a bibliography that's as long as the book. <laughs> but it's not just as long as the book. It has the Russian source and the German source and the Greek source. And, <sighs> and I just wish there was like, I just want to put my number in there and say, if you guys want this, just call me and I'll give you any information. <laughs> I promise. Save everybody's time and, and, and trouble. Where's, uh, where, are we, where are we now? Right. Hi, I see you. Hi, um, this is Nikki Kobe from Minnesota. Hi, Nikki. And, hi. And so speaking as an author, I've always wondered, mm. um, and th this would be very, very rare, mm. that I, I, I think there are, um, basically my question is, do you know if authors can request a specific narrator for their book once it is published. I, I know they can make the request. I don't know that it's always honored, um, but I know that um, Donna wanted me to record her book and it never happened and that was really heartbreaking for both of us. Um, I'm a cog in the wheel. Um, you know, so I, I, I mean, right, it never hurts to ask, right? That's what I'm learning as I get older, just ask, but at the end of the day, it's somebody else's decision. I hate to be a Betty bring down, but it's true. I, I, it's just all, it's decided and the books are distributed accordingly. And if anybody knows more about that, please. I don't know. I'm sorry. 
I'm just the talent. We just show up and look pretty and read the books. I, I didn't get in any on the initial introductions. My name is Albert Anderson. I'm from uh, Chicago, Illinois, and I'm one. Of, I was one of the original members of LUA. Got in on the, on the organizational meeting way back many many years ago. But um, I've I've got to tell you, Martha, that people who were at the Illinois Council convention in 2011 are still talking about how much fun it was to have you oh, with us. Oh, Albert, thank you. Yeah. That was a lot of, and that party was especially special as, as Ray mentioned today, honoring Dick and Alice. That was a, a, an amazing time, and I was privileged to be part of that. Yeah, that was a great conference. Martha even helped out with the auction. But, well, help, um, help is in air quotes, everybody. Let's just keep that in mind. <laughs> you know, there there are books, there, there is material, I know, and, and this must be quite difficult to read, that you know you can assume that the author is assuming that the reader is reading silently, that it, it's not written to be read out loud. Uh, that, yeah. That's got to be hard to do. You, you it, probably can think of it is. something, you know, things you've yeah. done that were or if like it's that. The, if, or if the, um, you know, if when we're, when we're reading something and the, the, just the way the, where the text is presented visually on the page, they've obviously gone to trouble. And sometimes we do a reader's note, but sometimes the reader's note is clunky and, and invasive. And so it's just like, uh, okay, we're just going to lift the, my, my, my goal is, and this is what I was taught. This is like the main thing I was taught at Northwestern long before I knew is the text is the thing. The words are the thing. And so my, my, my goal every time I pick up a book, I'm the conduit. What can I do to best serve this text? How can I best serve this text? How can I lift it off the page in a way that, that honors it and that preserves it as it is, but also bridges the gap between how it was written and how it can be presented you know so that's a tricky one thank you for saying that i appreciate that because sometimes it can be hard um especially with puns because it's like a spelling thing you know and you go well uh, so but you guys are smart <laughs> yes so martha yes. um Hi. it's really nice to meet you my name is shelly hi shelly um, nice to meet you just would like to know um if you have ever when you come to something emotional either humorous or oh. or sad if you've oh. ever lost it oh are you kidding a reading me session oh are you kidding me <laughs> the, the ahab's wife the book i was ta- talking about um there's a woman behind you that's been raising her hand forever at the end of the row um uh i literally I couldn't, okay, the day I knew I was going to finish the book, I didn't want to go to work at all. And I I had to walk around the block twice because I was crying so hard. I get so emotional. I get so attached to these characters. And do you, there were, and, and I even say to them, I'm like, okay, if, because you know that closing announcement, end of, blah, blah, blah. Someone's like, end of, Ahab's wife, my, you know, and, Hopefully it's never that bad, but you know one of my one of the um, one of the unsung heroes at Talking Books is a man named Jim Hermanson who's been there forever, and he's amazing. He's an auditor and a QCer, and just he's just a font of knowledge, and he he knows me really well. In fact, we were both born in New Jersey on August twenty second, and we both work in Denver, Colorado together. How weird is that? Um, but you know, I'll say to him, I said, you know, can you can you tell? Can you tell he's crying? He's like. Well, I can tell, but I don't think anybody. Else. So yeah, there, Shelley. Oh, there's been there have been. Just recently, I was reading something, and it was one that I didn't expect to, and it got it caught it you know snuck up on me, and sure enough, I had to. 
Usually I can pull it together, but some of them, no, I have to leave the booth and walk around and just try to get it together. I'm a, I'm a softy. I'm pathetic. Okay. <laughs> Finally, this lovely patient woman who's had her hand up forever. Okay, this is Donna Siren from St. Louis, Missouri. Hi, Donna. Um, hi. I just want to first say that um, I haven't finished all of the in-depth books, but you make them so much fun. To oh, read. thanks. I have fun reading them. <laughs> um, but what I'd like to know is um, you said that you don't previously read books, but are you given information about the characters, such as where they're from, so you know no, what kind of an accent No, and in fact, as I've had um, some conversations, email conversations, when I was given the in-depth series, I was given it like half, like like 10 books in or 11 books in. I didn't know anything about anybody. And she doesn't always repeat all the information. So I didn't know where Peabody was from for a while. You know, I didn't know. Oh, and then um, who's the techie guy, Peabody's husband now, Mc, Mc, McNabb. Yeah, like for a while they were doing the Scots. They were referring to his Scottish thing, but then he's a, a, like a, a dude. And so I literally had, I had, I, I let you guys tell me what to do. I finally said to some people, what do you think I should do? Should I go with the Scottish or the dude? They're like, no, go with the dude. So he's like more like a dude now. Okay, all right. So, but yeah, no, you know, if it's a one-off book, if it's a, a single standing book, usually the author will give you that. But in series, if you come in halfway, you don't know what's going on. So you just have to kind of use your spidey sense and try to figure it out that way. Yes, sir. Back in the back. You mentioned Donna. Uh, in, yes. In her book. Did you realize, did you know that she wrote an article about the time she and a friend met you in Denver? Yes. Uh, yes. And she flew up to see me in the Colorado Shakespeare Festival last right, summer. Right, right, right. Unbelievable. Right. That article won some sort of a writing award. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, and She's my so mind, proud of my it. Swiss cheese mind. Kate, Kate, Kate Chamberlain? Is that right? Did I get it right? Oh, sometimes I actually remember things that matter. Yes, they. Kate came from um, New York State, and, and and Donna came from Texas last summer to see me in a matinee of Henry V and in an evening show of Much Ado About Nothing at the Colorado Shoes Festival. Talk about bringing me to my knees. I have never been more honored, humbled in my lifetime. I mean, it was just amazing. It was amazing. Oh, golly. Look. They weren't, and that stinks, and it makes me mad, and I have done, I've been very vocal about it, and I mean, they're often, you know, uh, they have an uh, interpreter for the deaf, but they need to be described. Denver's a big town. It needs to happen. It need, we need to happen. I'm, I'm, believe me, I'm trying. <laughs> That's my little PSA. Okay. Yes. Um, I, there's a question in the back, and yes. Hi, hi I'm Maggie Ostrowski. Hi, Maggie. And I'm a volunteer monitor and editor at Yay. the Carnegie Library for the Blind in Pittsburgh. And let me tell you, my appreciation for what you do and what everybody behind you does has exploded oh. since I've done this volunteer work. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for doing the work, too. The volunteers are the lifeblood, let's face it, right? I mean, they're amazing. Yeah. There's some behind you, back to your left. Yeah, i got to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Over this way. Hi, this is Terry from Maryland. Hi, Terry from Maryland. Can you did you bring me some crabs? No, I <laughs> come on now. I'm in Denver. I'm a little crab hungry. Let's go. <laughs> Actually, from me, you're probably more apt to get lobsters from Cape Cod. Oh, that's fine. That'll do. 
Uh, yeah, I used to haul lobsters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, so did I. Oh, yeah? Spruce Head Island, Maine. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have to talk about Wings right. Neck and all, all that right. some all other right. time. <laughs> okay. Now I'm hungry. Okay, go ahead. I mean this as quite a compliment, as a compliment to you. And that is, I have a habit of not tending to read books by excellent readers as yourself at more than 100% speed. I understand uh, that. For a number of reasons. Yeah. And that's what I think is so wonderful about your ability, is that you sound just as good at 137 or 150%. <laughs> nice to know. You, it's got to be your cadence. I'm not sure what it is, but you just have such a great ability. Um, your voice just has such great quality, regardless of the speed that it's at. And I just want to thank you for well, thank the work you. that you put into it to make that happen. Oh, thank you so much. And I'll forgive you for not bringing me lobster or crab. <laughs> there was, a, was there a gentleman next to you that had a question, too, or were you just working as a team? Yeah, okay, cool. Cool, good, good, good. Okay. Anybody else? I have a question, Martha. Yes. I, I don't know if you've heard this one before. But <clears throat> when you're in the booth, do you take your shoes off? You want to stop with the shoes, do you? <laughs> One of my favorite stories, another great story about Eric is um, for a while we had two buildings. And in the second building, there were these two booths that were kind of freestanding. And because of that, they weren't, um, they didn't have as the greatest HVAC, so to speak. And um, it would get really hot in there sometimes. And one, it was an evening session, and he was reading. And uh, he was working with this gentleman, Jim Hermanson, that I just mentioned. And they were working together. And no one else was around. And Eric was just getting hotter and hotter. And it's, you know how, I don't know about you, but when I get hot, I get kind of woozy. And I like to, my booth is like a meat locker. So um, it was getting really hot. So, you know, it was kind of probably like 8.30 at night. And Eric was dying. And so he said, I'm going to take my shirt off. There's no one around. So he took his shirt off. And so when, you, when you're looking at, into one of these booths, you, you just see, you know, sort of from the, well, nipples up, basically. Um, so, of course, because this is how our universe works, that night, that night, the owner of the studio, Rudy Savage, at the time, had a friend in visiting and decided to give him a little tour and took him in. And sure enough, there's Eric looking for all the world to be wearing nothing at all. Uh, so yes, I take my um, I take my shoes off, and I, yeah, I, yeah, I've, I've I've made myself comfortable a few times. What, I I love the time. One time I went to pick up my girls from to my mom was washing them, and I went to pick up my girls, and she took one look at me, and she goes, "Oh, didn't you go to work today?" I'm like, "Mom, I'm sitting in a booth by myself all day. This is what I wore, okay." <laughs> Martha, this is yeah. Sheila from Hi, Orlando, Sheila. Florida. Um, I met you in St. Petersburg. Yes. Many, I thought you looked familiar. <laughs> many years ago. I remember. <laughs> anyway, are you allowed to refuse to record a book? The, the thinking always was, there are a lot of people that want to do this job. And so the thinking, the sort of unspoken message was, if you don't do it, somebody else will. I did refuse one book once. Yes, I did. Because I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do it justice because it was a material that upset me so deeply and was so offensive to me that, I, I, I mean, I read stuff that's offensive to me all the time, but this was, yeah, this was above and beyond. 
It really was. I couldn't do it. So, um, but you know, I talked. I didn't just flat out refuse. I said, you know, is there a way that we can make you know make this work? And somebody else read it and it was taken care of. But um, again, I try to revert to not revert to, but I try to reflect back on my feeling when I when I I used to work at a really great bookstore in, in Denver called the Tattered Cover Bookstore. And one of the first things they ask new employees is, how do you feel about censorship? And, you know, my first thing is, oh, I'm against it, and it's true, you know. And then they pose the question, what if you were working at the cast register and a, a teenager came up, a very depressed-looking teenager, and they bought a book which exists, it's, which is How to Commit Suicide. Would you sell them that book? And, you know, it's easy to, like, stand on the side of, you know, censor, anti-censorship when it's within your... But that was a tricky one. And at the end of the day, I would sell the book. You know, just like at the end of the day, I'll read stuff that I don't like because it's not up to me to decide what other people have access to. Um, But in this one case, Sheila, it was just, I couldn't, it was a woman, a political woman, and I just, I find her highly offensive. And I think she just, I think she just lives to be offensive. And so I just said, you know, I'm not going to, I can't do this. So it worked out okay. Hi, you're standing up. Do you want me to stop talking now? Okay. In the in the second row with the beautiful Poncho, I forget your name already. Kate, you've been so patient. One more question. She's coming. It's actually not a question. It's not a question. If it's a compliment, we have time. If it's not, we don't. I'm sorry, we're out of time. <laughs> we just ran out. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Oh. And you that book, you made it I mean I love her books anyway, but you made it so alive. Oh great. And I love Rosa Bonham Reed You know what? Uh Ten Thousand White Women. Has anyone ever read that one? It's so cool and it's it's based on a true thing. Look it up. Ten thousand white women. So good. But I also wanted to make another comment yes. 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 And she was sort of reluctant reader and said, you know, she was sort of going along with me and reading it. And then after a while made this comment about how much she loved the way the narrator read the book. Yes. And then one of my favorite moments of the whole school year was when she saw me coming and she said, and she said to me, can you believe what that mother just did? And it was like, I hadn't, we hadn't even talked about the book. Yeah. It was that much in her mind. Yeah. That's I mean, that, a story like that will keep me going for years because especially when a young person connects with literature, oh, that's all I ask for. Yeah. You have so many comments. She said one. Thank you. That was a nice one. I'm glad you ended with that one. Thanks. Hey, you guys, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It is absolutely true what somebody said earlier, that to those of us who love talking books, there's nothing like a rock star in our lives than a good talking book narrator. 
no question about it. Um, in addition to uh, thanking Martha for her fine presentation here and for being with us all the time, remember tonight's auction. Breakfast with Martha's on the auction block. So you can, you can ask her all those other questions she might not have wanted to answer in public here. It's amazing what you can ask over breakfast, right? I, I suppose it's going to be in the restaurant, right, Brian? Well. Oh, shucks. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So there's a, there's a couple announcements as we go to break. As we go to break, a couple announcements, okay? Adam, say hello. Hello. That's where the Lua Treasurer is located. And if you'd like to pay Lua dues, that works for us. Is the BR, BRL Treasurer present? Guess what, Paul? My benefit, your loss. That's right. Anybody wants to join AABT? Happy, happy, happy. There she'd be happy to take dues. Dues and information for either people who are members or who would like to be. There you go. Wonderful dues. So there's Kate. Now, in addition to that announcement, Steve, are you in the room? Steve Mendelson? Okay, so Judy, you want to make your announcement quick? Great. And third, uh, Vinkatesh, where are you? I'm here. There he is in the back of the room. And you, uh, introduce yourself one more time for me, please. I'm Vinkatesh Chari of Composite Research. We're the developers and practice of the Composite And Vinkatesh has the latest iteration with him. The one that I've been showing was a earlier version. So... If you want to get your hands on what I think is going to just turn Braille, refreshable Braille on its head and make it available to the masses and not just to the elite of us, uh, but also bring the quality of Braille that we are used to in hard copy Braille to refreshable Braille, you need to see this device. He also will be in the back of the room if you want to get a hold of him and take a look at that device. Okay? We are now at break for the next 15 minutes. And... Come back for the rest of the program, please. Thank you all for being here. Yeah, yeah. Well, are either trip or because we need to talk. We want to come.
Esparza. We want to try to get you out of from behind the table here, if we can. Well, this is so other people can have a chance, right? We understand. Okay. We have taken our You got. You did. You did. <laughs> so, Martha. Jill, we we saw them two or three times at different events. Oh wow! They would go out and do it as a as a duet, so to speak. So it's great when they because I I agree. What did they get to hear all day long? Do that over. Do this over. That's not what I would call um, random, if you will. Do it. And they're actors. These people are actors, so this is part of the pay that they don't normally get. I could see her as Morticia. She could do that. She could do that. That is so good. Yeah, I guess. Another road trip, eh? There you go. There you go. Uh, well, we're going to children's books following the break. From um, We have a gentleman from National Braille Press. And we're going to bring other people into the conversation about children's books and their availability and, and those kinds of things. I'd, I'd hoped to have seedlings here, but they weren't available. So it's going to be NBPS in terms of a, a creator and distributor of books, and they've certainly done a lot in that regard. But uh, there may, hopefully, people in the audience will know other sources and that kind of stuff to share around. Yeah, that would be awesome. I love children. I if it says that it's for young adults, that is not a disqualifier. I think of um, Le Guin. You know, the, there's a science fiction fantasy. Fantasy is not quite the right word either. But Ursula K. Le Guin, her books were all listed as young adults. I thought, this is 
such a disservice because so many adults would enjoy these books. Left Hand of Darkness and just a whole series of these books because they were, how do you put it, psychological in nature. They would make you question, well, you can imagine Left Hand of Darkness. The the subject was if if 30% of the population was X and 70% of the population were Y and one, if everything was voted on by majority rule, what do you do about the minority? And all done in a story, I didn't slap you in the face with that, but that's really the question of the book. And I think adults would have enjoyed that kind of stuff. You're stopping to think about Alice in Wonderland. If, if adults have never read that, people treat that just like a children's book. There are so many subplots and subtext in that kind of stuff. And if somebody simply called that children's literature, or for young adults, oh, thank you. By no means. Well, you stop to think of uh, Bring Around the Rosy, Pocket Full of Poses. What's it about? The plague for that stuff. So, yeah, there's those kind of things that are part of it. So, I, one of the things I'm thinking about, and I do these things, and as soon as this meeting's over, I'll go up and leave myself some notes, is I think that, that Lua members would enjoy it if we were to take the Talking Book Narrator sessions we've had as Lua meetings for the past five years and took those and put them all on a single audio thing that one could check out, whatever you want to call it. Because I want to go back and listen to the, the last few now that I've enjoyed this one so much. We're trying to come up with ways to be more relevant between conventions. At conventions, we don't have a problem justifying ourselves. But um, you know, to some degree, it's that whole question of how do you keep them involved in between? We only have um, 115 members in local. And how many tens of thousands of people? The Massachusetts Library alone has a list, has a readership of 20,000. So take that and go the whole network. We should be able to have, you know, easily a thousand members. So anyway, we're working on it. That's my goal. We're going to blow the blow the lid off of that whole idea and. Uh, Next year, you're going to find that Lua both has the most new members and the biggest percentage, and the percentage is going to be so blow away. So, let's see whether it works. <laughs> That's my goal. All right. Let's see. Time-wise, we are at 2.48. So, we're getting back together. We're supposed to get back together now. My other president...
three-minute warning. Three-minute warning. Tell Kate to come up. Uh, she said, I don't want to be up there. Can you just call me from out there? She, she raised, remember, she, she didn't want to monopoly. Once Ray's last name. Last thing. I'm just going to ask him to come up here. Yeah. Good. Ray from NBP, if you please come forward. One minute warning, one minute warning. Please get back to your so, seats. Ray, what is your last name, sir? Rodriguez. Nice to meet you, man. Nice I follow you. Nice to meet you, Paul. Again, we're going to get started in one minute, so please regain your seats. It's okay if you sit on somebody's lap. We don't care. We're friendly people. I'm safe. I'm behind the table back here, see? <laughs> Vinkatesh, you still in the room? Vinkatesh, that's Kate that I want you to meet. That's Kate. I want to make sure you make the connection. Kate, say something. Hi, I'm here. Okay. All right. So, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I have just morphed into a Paul from O'Brien. It's interesting, there's a little more air. <laughs> so, of the hot variety. <laughs> uh, that's right. 
So welcome back to the joint session uh, that all three of our organizations are running. And we are extremely glad that so many of you have chosen to remain. We have two uh, major program elements in the second session. The first one, which will be the briefer one, uh, was intended to have more actual live bodies present than we actually have. But we are going to make do with what we have. Um, and you'll understand in a little while. Because we actually have a bonus in that, in that we have... Um, she, I, I don't know how, how, how well she knows it. But we have, we have actually seconded to this panel uh, the president of uh, the American Association of Blind Teachers, Ms. Kate Crohan, who's going to be talking a little bit after our first speaker talks about what they're doing. So this section was spawned uh, by some discussion that we had on the, on the uh, Lua board call. And one of the things that everybody said is, we really would like to know more about what's going on with kids' books. Because we have kids who are blind that we know, or we're blind parents, and we want to know what kids we can read, what books we can read along with our kids, what kids we can read along with our books. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> and so... And so we, it was our intention to invite a galaxy of stars to be present here and, and tell us all about all of the various offerings that they have. And we, we had actually gotten a list of three people who we were going to invite. And what we ended up, um, what we ended up doing is, is only actually getting one of our invitations confirmed. And so we're going to give that gentleman an opportunity to tell you a little bit about what National Braille Press is doing with children's books. And it gives me great pleasure to talk a little about uh, the National Braille Press and its commitment to children's literature, Mr. Ray Rodriguez. Thank you, Ray. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Um, I work in the customer service department um, in, the publishing, in the publishing area at National Braille Press, and I want to talk a little bit about a couple of programs that we do um, to help promote Braille with children. And the first one, what we do, is called ReadBooks. ReadBooks is a program that is uh, funded by a lot of different people who donate to um, Braille literacy. The program, what it does is if you are new to Braille or your new family to Braille, we will ship you out a book bag that would contain a lot of resources on where to find Braille. Um, we will also ship you, depending on the age that the student, or, well, that the child is, um, a book uh, just to introduce them to Braille, what it feels like. They also can, as a parent or a family member, can also request uh, one of our publications, which is called Just Enough to Know Better, and that helps teach uh, sighted parents Braille so they can be able to follow along with their child. So that follows right, in long, right, right along with our Children's Braille Book Club, which has just celebrated, oh my gosh, I 
many, many, many years with Diane Croft, who just recently retired. Um, Cassell Wilson, her replacement, could not be here today. So I'm in here in her place, and I hope to do National Braille Press a little bit of justice in talking about Great Expectation Program. Where this is one of Diane's legacies, and she definitely created a program that would not only enhance children's literature, but that would definitely uh, create an environment at home or in school um, or even on the playground about wonderful books that would be able to come to life. And so um, I have, so far we have four books that have been created. Every other, about one every couple of months we come out with a, a book that we feel could be, create a lot of activities around. So for example, our first book was Dragons Love Tacos. Uh, by Adam Rubin, okay? So in Dragons Love Tacos, it's about a little dragon, or a family of dragon, actually, that love tacos a lot, a lot. And so what we did was we created, with a group of wonderful people, including Diane, we created a series of rubrics that you can go online, download, um, or we can, or you can easily access them via the Internet, and um, that include singing songs, um, creating a, a wonderful plate of tacos at home for yourself. Um, and not just that, it also it provides a way to explain the illustrations to your child or vice versa. What's great about National Braille Press and the quality of our books is that all of our children's Braille books are print Braille. And so what we do is we capture a published book in print and il fully illustrated, and then we transform it by adding it, taking apart the binding if we need to, and add Braille to it. Um, that way, a sighted parent or a sighted, or a sighted child can read Braille and follow along with a with a sighted parent or a non-sighted parent. So I think this is phenomenal program. Um, we, it also comes with um, a little dragon egg. And the dragon egg is you can download the song and you can sing along to the song. So it brings the book to life. It brings a lot of what the subject matter is to life. Another example is... Um, Iggy Peck Architect. Now, Iggy Peck Architect. I'm going to pass the books around. Um, I'm just going to start over here with Judy and Charles. And then Iggy Peck Architect, I'll start on this end. Sally, there you go. Um, now, Iggy Peck Architect is a book I really, really love because how do you explain architecture to children? How do you explain the need to want to build to a blind child. And so this book is about a child who really, really wants to make and learn to build, but his teacher doesn't want him to. His teacher wants him to focus on the core curriculum. And so how does he, how does he convince his teacher to move forward with allowing him to build and learn in that capacity? So it is really, really, it's a really great book. And as you can see how it goes towards the end, the teacher fully embraces the idea that architecture and building is a key element to learning your core elements. 
Um, it also comes, so you go online, you download a series of activities, and it also comes with the book, comes a, a, another additional addendum, which is called Tactile Landmarks. What does the, sta- what is this, you know, the Leaning Tower of Pisa look like? What does it feel like? The Pyramids of the Sphinx, the Empire State Building. These are all tactile elements that um, are captured in a great coil-bound book that comes with Iggy Peck Architect. And I'll pass that around as well. So not only are you just getting a book, you're getting a, a complete, complete series of activities. Another book that we we brought aboard was a book that would help talk about color and really really capture color and how to capture color. And the book was The Day the Crayons Quit. (laughs) And that book is phenomenal in that it captures the pure essence of color. And so we wanted to create activities around the, the book that would allow a parent or a teacher to really understand how to explain color to a, a you know to a visually impaired child, or how to um, move forward with topics of color, especially through topics of uh, explaining you know illustration. And how um, certain colors can really, really, you know, reflect emotion, especially in illustration in children's books. Um, We moved forward from um, the day the crayons quit, and now we have the the follow-up book called the day the crayons came home. And so it's paired with that book as well. I brought, I didn't bring a copy of the day the crayons quit, because the day the crayons quit is quite extensive package. It comes with the book. It comes with a pack of triangular crayons that do not roll off the roll off the table. It comes with a crayon board with braille letter braille markings to know what color goes with what. Um, it also comes with a series of uh, tactile cray, uh, coloring sheets. So you can be able to color different topics. So there's about four or five of those in there. So we just couldn't fit it in our in our truck to you know to ship out over here. But the day the crayons can't quit is an extensive uh, program to learn color and to have fun with color. Um, I'm going to pass around the day the crayons came home because that is a singular book, and I want everyone to just get a feel for what the book really can do uh, to a to a child's imagination, and it's really really great. Sure. It they are they're very very good for them. Um, it really helps because for someone who is newly blind, they have the memory. Um, so the illustrations and the braille will definitely be described. In, within the book. So that's another thing that we do in our books as well. If we feel that an illustration needs to be described, we will take that extra step and describe it within the text of the Braille. Uh, yes, definitely. You're welcome. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. 
all the places you'll go. Right, and so what we because that is an older one of our older selections, it might not have the descriptors. But what I recommend, and I will actually make a note of that, is to take it back to Cassell Wilson to let her know that that book probably should have a little bit more descriptions in it. And your feedback is always always welcome because that's how we improve our books for our children is by by hearing back from you and understanding what it is and what we need to do. So I know that our, for sure a great expectation goes through not just one set of hands. It goes through a team of about 15 to 20 people that all come up with ideas about activities surrounding the book. Um, Pete the Cat was a really fun one. We dressed up as kitty cats. Um, and, for example, I brought a rubric here from The Great Expectations for Pete the Cat, which is one of our most newest ones. Inside Pete the Cat, it comes with an activities checklist, and here's the, here's the activities that we included in Pete the Cat. Pete's cane tips. Describe Pete the Cat pictures. Sing Pete the Cat song. So we actually had someone create a song. Um, different tell, to tell cat jokes. Find Pete in a Pete puzzle. Go to the library and find more Pete. <laughs> Create tactile mazes. Make a tactile map. And learn how to tie Pete's shoes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and then also in the book, we also included uh, Pete's rocking braille word search. And it comes with instructions on how to do... Um, the, the word search. And I'm going to pass that around so you can see how the, the Braille word search is. Um, there you go. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Hi, Judy. Right. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. And we're trying to come up with a good series of books that you can say this is part of the Great Expectations program. And anybody can pick up those six books per year and definitely follow and learn more than just the text on the, on, on the page. I'm going to pass Pete the Cat around. No, it's fantastic. Who wants the de dragon egg? Oh. 
Do we have any more questions about? Oh, so let's go. So going back. So to, we have about we have about two or three minutes for you, and then we're gonna then we're gonna go to Kate. So Ray, why don't you give perfect. us some contact information about right. NBP? So NBP can be con- we can contact us at NBP at www.nbp.org, or you can call us at. Hold six, on, guys. Yep. Yep, or you can call us at 617-266-6160, and then you can ask for customer service, and you would be calling directly to my line, and I will help you with any of the selections of the books that we have. Any recommendations, we'll definitely take. Um, Cassell Wilson just recently started, and she's going to be working on enhancing any of all of our products, and we are, Judy, we are going to be bringing more coloring books. So, so right now we have four. Talk about the, the series that you described, the, the expectations and the book club, and right. let people know how much those cost. Um, because they are a little bit more encompassing, the books are $15. Um, it's still a great price. We try to get them at, at, at cost. Um, and then we usually have a benefactor or a donor that donates money towards the book um, to help offset the costs. So, and then we have a new book that's selected for September. Our newest book coming out will be, oh, it's going to be great. <laughs> I'll then just put it this way. It is, a, it is a, a book with about, it's about theater, about acting. It's about race relations. It is fantastic. It's about a little black girl that wants to be Peter Pan. Aww. It's fantastic. Yes, ma'am. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say about 45 years or 40 years, I think, uh, we've had the Children's Braille Book Club. And this is where we're evolving. We're evolving to be a little bit more inclusive and in creating more activities. Any other questions? Um, yes, ma'am. Mine was a comment. I, I just wanted to share with everybody something really unique I heard this morning. And it was just through talking to a guide dog uh, instructor um, in high school leader. So I grew up in a bilingual home, and I don't have any family members that are that are that are visually impaired. But I have a nephew that is just learning to read, and he all every single one of his books has Braille on them, because I not only do I want him to know English, Spanish, I want them to know there's other ways to communicate. And How so, cool is that? yeah. So, Mr. Ralph, if you if you could come and grab this mic and take it to Kate. Crohan. She's <laughs> Thank gonna... you guys so much. If you have any questions, feel free to call us at National Braille Press. We'll take all of your advice. Judy, thank you so much. Kate is not a person who, who I've had an opportunity to meet in person, except kind of, hi Kate, bye Kate. Um, but, but Kate has, um, Kate has been really active this week, and, and I've, I've gotten an opportunity to see her at a number of meetings and she's, she's proven to be a really valuable resource. She's a teacher at the Perkins School in, in Boston um, and has had a lot to offer in some of our other discussions. 
So it gives me great pleasure to tell us about some other kids' book resources to introduce you all to Kate Crohan. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Can you, can you all hear me? Um, I think I want to start out just giving a history of our experience with, with my experience with reading and then with my children and grandchildren, and now my students. And I have to say that I must start out, first of all, with a, a tribute to my father loved, loved, loved to read. And I'm one of seven children, and I have six brothers. And um, I, I have six brothers, three sons, and six grandsons. So there you go. <laughs> I love my family as well as my daughters-in-law. <laughs> um, but anyway, he read aloud to us when we were children, and, and I still remember when I learned Braille and just have always loved reading. And when I was pregnant with my son, Stephen, he turned 40 last November. I cannot believe it. But anyway, when I was pregnant with him, I was thinking, what am I going to do? You know, with all these picture, book, picture books for children, how am I ever going to manage? I want to be able to read to him or I didn't know it was him then, but I want to be able to read to my children the way that everyone does. So I was really panicking about it. So at that time, I knew someone who um, worked for the Mass Association for the Blind, and she took it on as a project to try to figure out how to do print Braille books. And the first one that a transcriber did, I thought, either this guy, this transcriber was just totally gone when she wrote this. It was a Richard Scarry book. And I don't know if you're familiar with those, but there are words and pictures everywhere. And I could not sort it out to save my life. So then um, Joyce Graff, who was the person then who was um, helping me with it, you know, came up with more of a system for managing the pictures and um, the descriptions. And they did more. And then I was talking to Diane, who had become a friend and who worked at the National Borough Press. And I said, Diane, these books, these transcribers, one of them was Bonnie Camp, who, who moved away and was still doing them. But I said, these transcribers are doing books for me, and I'm hoarding them because I never want to give them away because um, I want them for my own children. And I said, so it ends with me. Then Now what? And that's when she had the idea of starting the, the Children's Braille Book Club. And of course, now we have seedlings, and we have books at, our, at the regional libraries, and it's just a different world. Um, so anyway, beyond that, I um, then was concerned about what happens when our children are outgrowing these print Braille books, and I still want to be reading him, them all the stories that... Um, I used to read when I was little that my father read to us, like Tom Sawyer and Heidi. And so I thought, well, we, I didn't look at pictures when I was little, so maybe they will gain more of an understanding. It, can you hear me or is it? Okay. More of an understanding of what it's like to try to imagine if they're not constantly looking at pictures. And thanks to our regional library, I got tons and tons of books that I had read when I was little, like the Laura Ingalls Wilder books. And okay, so I 
but it was huge for me to know that we could read and talk about books thanks to all that were available. And now, of course, we have Bookshare. So it's an endless resource. Um, but to name just one experience that stands out in my mind, when we were, um, when my two older children were little, we used to, um, my, my children, my former husband worked in Boston and we were living on Martha's Vineyard at the time. So we used to spend time in Boston. And one day, when, after we had read um, The Trumpet of the Swan, we were in Boston and I said, let's go to the Ritz. I don't know if you're all familiar with that book, but it's about a swan who eventually, um, he decides he needs water and so he goes into the Ritz and takes a bath, which used to be a hotel in Boston. It's still there, but under a different name. Anyway, and um, he takes a bath in the bathtub. Somebody, And so we went into the Ritz and when we first walked in, it was a Sunday. And I'm sure we looked a little scruffy compared to the normal population of people that go in, who go into the Ritz. And um, so, you know, this very sophisticated doorman asked us what we wanted. And I told him, and he said, oh, well, you know, let's take an elevator. And we went and we looked at one of the rooms. So it was fun. And that, of course, evolved into reading books with my children when they were in high school. Like, I don't think one of my sons actually said to me that he never would have been able to handle Dickens if we hadn't read it together and taught. We didn't obviously read it, read it together, but we talked about it a lot. And now I have grandsons, and we're reading books together. Um, I have one grandson who's 16, and I love knowing what a summer reading list is going to be so that we can find a book that we can share. Um, and the other thing that I've done is to join um, a book club at our local library where we talk about young adult and children's books, and I've loved it because it gives me, like, an, uh, many of the people in the club are librarians, and it's run by a librarian. So um, we have, we always have a, a number of books that um, we read together, and um, some of those I found on Audible. Um, a few of the picture books I have not been able to get, so my neighbor and I have read them together, which I certainly appreciate. And, um, but, oh, shoot, okay, sorry. So just to name a few books that if you have young adult uh, children, grandchildren, one book, that a, uh, one book that a teacher recommended from P Teacher at Perkins was Wonder by Palacio, which is just an amazing, amazing book. And then I have a, a student who really didn't feel like reading much with me, but he, knew that the Julian chapter, which is a pretty short book, was a sequel to that. So we read that together. Another one, The War That Saved My Life, um, which is about the evacuation of London during World War II. And it's obviously a title that has some mystery to it, because you usually don't think of a war as saving a life. So you'll have to read on to find out what that is. But it's definitely, definitely, definitely worth reading. That's available at Audible and at Bookshare. Um, I think it's, I, I'm pretty sure it's from book, you can get it from Bookshare. Another one is All American Boys, which I just read, which is from Audible, and I'm assuming Bookshare. But just to give you a few ideas about books, and I just cannot tell you what a joy reading has been. And without the National Bureau Press and, the, um, and their resource and Diane's idea of starting the Children's Braille Book Club, 
And then, you know, again, as I mentioned, seedlings at the regional library and Bookshare, it just would be a very, very different world for my family and I'm sure most of us, most of you. So, okay. Thank you. We won't make Ralph run. We'll just kind of call it out. We all know that, that another resource for books is seedlings seedlings.org, um, and they have a pretty wide range of children's books um, that they publish on a regular basis and a pretty and, and quite a hefty back catalog uh, of books as well. Um, beyond those two and all the library resources and the books in particular that Kate talked about, are there other sources that folks know about? Very good. So what we will undertake to do, and this maybe will encourage more of you to join, is we will publish a complete list of all the resources that we're able to find, and Kate's going to help us. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, in, in the next issue of the Lua Ledger, I can say that because I'm the editor, so I get to, to say what gets published. <laughs> Uh, oh, sorry, there is one more that, that there, well, okay, good. One, one, is, um, one is a store in Canada that's really cool, up, out, out in British Columbia, as a matter of fact, called the Braille Superstore. Yep, so somebody else said they had two more? Okay, so do the other. Well, the Braille Institute was was a part of was was a part of my growing up, and and I some of some of you guys who are older probably remember these too. They used to publish one book a year that had several books in it called Expectations. Yes. Yes. I used to love those things because they were they were actually my first. You could keep it; they were yours, and and they were they were the first books that I ever saw that had pictures in them. So I thought that was pretty damn tricky, boy. So, yeah, I love that. And, and in fact, I was heartbroken when it went away. Yeah. It was very sad, but, but good. So that's another. So, so double check and see if they still have stuff, Kate, so that we can include them. Cool. But, you know, again, Bookshare is a huge. It is. I know you all know that, but I have actually had a few students who have requested books um, from them. And one of them is a Del Silverstein poetry book. And he said, I don't care if I'm in high school, I love Del And the other thing that Bookshare does that, that, that people may not know is that with a lot of their kids' books, they actually describe all the pictures, um, which is really pretty cool. Um, I, I suppose, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. There, there, is, um, there, is also, there is also a wonderful album out by uh, a guy whose last name is Gibson uh, of Shel Silverstein songs for adults. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's um it's great. His name is Bob Gibson. He's one of the unsung folk singers of the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. All right.
So now I'm going to hand over to Brian to introduce. Don't insult folk music, boy. Them's fighting words. Don't do it. So here is Brian to introduce our next speaker. Okay, okay. So I want to give uh, Charles a chance to come up here. Now, one of the things about what we did this year, we've been trying to start a tradition, I think fairly successfully, one book, one ACB. But this year, one book just wouldn't do it. Um, and it took a little doing even to get this to happen. You may have heard Kim talk uh, about the Marrakesh Treaty and our efforts to try to break down uh, country barriers when it comes to accessible books. And we were successful at getting that finally adopted, but not your country, ladies and gentlemen. We're a little slow on the uptake. Our Congress has much more significant things to deal with, like renaming post offices and things like that. So we're still working on that. But uh, we did decide that we would uh, use what connections we had, library to library, and we were able to get two books uh, into the Perkins Braille and Talking Book Library collection through support from the CNIB and to invite that author to come speak with us today. And so I'm going to simply allow you to introduce yourself because nobody knows you like you know you. <laughs> Is that a fair statement? You want to hold a mic or do you want to I'll, use a mic? I'll, I'll hold this one. Okay, go for it. If, if, uh, if there are questions, we can, we can use Pass this one. So yeah. Thank you very much indeed, Brian. And it's a great pleasure to be here. It's wonderful this week. I've had a marvelous time so far. And it's a particular joy to be here to talk about people who love books and reading and writing as much as I do. So thank you very much for uh, inviting me and for letting me speak to you. You know, um, I, I grew up uh, in the United Kingdom, and my parents, thank heavens, were both fascinated by language. They loved books, and they loved to read, and they read to me. Uh, and some of the most precious early memories that I have are of sitting with my mother or father, uh, cuddled up, um, in, in the winter particularly, um, hearing these wonderful stories, starting with um, the classics like Winnie the Pooh uh, and moving up through Rudyard Kipling, the Just So stories, the Jungle Book, uh, and, and so on, up through into the classics to Charles Dickens, who was at first totally incomprehensible, and uh, ultimately... Um, breeding in me uh, a love of language and dialect and accent, which has stayed with me all my life. And I wrote my first novel at the age of uh, about 10, um, with, a, my mother says, an astoundingly dull, um, blunt pencil. Uh, and it, it was, it was a, a, a complete, uh, well, it was the wind in the willows with different animals. Um, I, and, and the thing was about 20 pages long, and I illustrated it, <laughs> and uh, I punched holes in the left-hand side and put string in it so it would open like a book, sort of. Um, and my mother kept that until <laughs> it fell apart. Um, and I can still remember large parts of, uh, of, of, that, uh, of that mighty work. Um, and and I, I, I did always uh, enjoy writing, and of course in my professional career uh, as an, an educator and internationalist, 
I um, had to write a lot of um, non-fiction, um, some of it um, other people call scholarly works, I'm not so sure, but uh, anyway, um, I had to write a lot of, uh, of non-fiction, but I did write some fiction. Once a year I wrote some fiction. Um, it was called Departmental Annual Report. Um, <laughs> and uh, usually quite well received by people who didn't bother to do very much research. <laughs> but um, so I, I, I did try to, to, to write a novel, um, oh, it must be more than 20 years ago, when I was still working, uh, and I did complete the thing. It was in the pre-computer days, as it actually... Uh, a long time ago, probably, oh, I've been retired, oh, good grief. It's just 30 years ago, I guess, that I did this. And I used a regular typewriter, worked in the evenings. I was very proud of it and submitted it around to various places. And it achieved uh, instant oblivion. Um, and so I thought, well, look, at, until I've got more time, I, I better leave this alone. But... Um, my sight by that time was, was at the point where I could no longer read normal print, but I could read large print books. And uh, the library where we lived had a huge collection of large print books from the Elverscroft publishers in Britain. And so I, I, read, I read those when I, when I had the opportunity and, and the time to read. Uh, but then when I retired, I thought, well, let me try it. I, I was... I was uh, eager to see if I could actually write fiction that anybody would want to read. And so I remember uh, still very clearly uh, about, uh, let's see, 15 years ago, uh, sitting down uh, in front of my computer, which <coughs> I, I was using by that time, of course, and starting at, at chapter one of a book which ultimately became uh, Jade Hunter which I know some of you uh, have read, and um, I, I very much appreciate that. And uh, while I think of it, um, big thanks go to Kim for the work that she did to get the, uh, the books into the Perkins Library so that they uh, could be available uh, down here. Now, uh, so I, um, at the same time I was doing that, I, I, I wrote a short story um, and I submitted it to uh, a magazine, and I didn't hear from them. But they, they just ignored. So that happens a lot. So I didn't think anything about it. Um, but shortly after that, I came across, quite by chance, uh, something on the Internet that had been posted by a, a woman, it was a writer in Montreal, and she was running a writer's club and I got in touch with her, and she said, oh, yes, uh, we'd, we'd be happy to have you join us. You don't have to be published, and I wasn't by that time. Um, but what you do is uh, you join a group of four or five others who specialize in the genre which is your favorite, that you write mostly. And um, uh, once, once a week, the members of this critique group circulate an excerpt from their writings around for, for critique, to the other members of that group. And so you can do that. And I thought to myself, oh, no, I can't. <laughs> there is no possibility of me daring to submit something that I've written to a group of people, most of whom were published authors. However, 
she wouldn't leave me alone, the, my friend, now my dear friend in, in Montreal, um, who has since become my regular publisher. And she insisted, she kept writing to me, and I, sa I finally said, yeah, well, look, Leah, uh, I, I, I'm partially sighted. It takes me a long time to read. Uh, I don't really think I can contribute to this. Uh, and I'm, I'm worried about, you know, I don't want to make, pe make people wait for me and that sort of thing. So you need to know that this is my situation. And she wrote back a very long email, which essentially said, so what? Um, and uh, she said, it, you, you're not going to let that stand in your way. If you want to write, I'm not going to let you, you know, fob yourself off on that sort of thing. So uh, God bless her. She, she almost shamed me <laughs> into, into joining this critique group. And I, I did that, and I learned an immense amount from those good people learned a tremendous amount, and they didn't laugh at me, and they were serious, and uh, I, I learned so much about the craft from them. And shortly thereafter, uh, I guess, no, shortly, would be a year after I had been involved with the critique group, that magazine I told you about, they wrote to me, sent me a, a, a letter, an actual letter, uh, if you remember the mail. Um, <laughs> they sent me a letter and said, that their whole system, all of their manuscripts, all of their archives, archives, everything had been hacked and stolen, and they had started from nothing again. But what they discovered somehow, somewhere, was, the, was part of the manuscript that I had submitted to them. And so they said, if you'd like to send us the rest, we're impressed with what we see, we will buy it and publish it in the magazine. So I thought, ye gods. Um, so I did that anyway, and uh, they published it, and they paid for it. Not, not, it was a very short story. The, 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 the check they sent me was, was very small, but nonetheless, it was my first payment for writing a piece of fiction. So I thought perhaps I'd have the thing bronzed and put in the Smithsonian, <laughs> but uh, I, you know, uh, it, it, was, it was amazing. And so all, all the time this is going on, I, I was writing other short stories and still working on what was to become Jade Hunter, uh, which I finally finished. And Leah, the, my mentor uh, in Montreal, um, got in touch with me and says, look, I'm, I'm writing, uh, I'm, I'm doing an anthology um, uh, and, and I'd like you to submit a story for it. And it's, it's uh, uh, an anthology of horror stories. And I wrote back, I said, well, I don't write horror stories, Leah. And she said something helpful like, well, you do now. <laughs> and... Um, so I, I did write that, and, and it, was, it, was, it was published. And then she got in touch with me again, and she said, I've got a challenge for you. Uh, I want you to write a story. I, she contacted several other of her author friends and said, I want you to write a story that um, concerns a particular town uh, in New England, 
and there's, uh, outside this town, there's a fork in the road, and I want you to write a story about the people who go down the right-hand fork instead of taking the left-hand one, which would take them to where they originally wanted to go. So it's like a, you know, the path less traveled kind yeah. of thing. And uh, she gave us a history of the town. She said, you've got to build that into it. Everybody has the same challenge. And if you can use certain characters, which she set out for us, and, and so on. And it, it, can be, <laughs> it can be a fantasy, a mystery, a what, whatever, whatever you like. And I wrote a story for her, which was published in the anthology and which has since been um, published independently. Uh, it's uh, it's on Amazon, I know, but it has never been narrated or, or, I, or picked up by anybody beyond that. But it is called With Different Sight. And it's the only short story I've written, or only story I've written, period, that has um, sight loss as a, a main theme. And um, it's, it's about a young man who was about as old as I was when they told me that uh, my world was going to change. And uh, what happens is that he goes across uh, this uh, New England-covered bridge and finds himself in a, in, a, in a strange place, which is simply described as the, the other side of the bridge. And he's able to meet people who passed a long time ago. And he meets Beethoven, who was deaf. And he meets Harriet Tubman, that you know was... Um, epileptic, and he then meets, the, uh, meets Homer, the blind Greek poet. It, uh, there's dispute about whether Homer ever existed, but that doesn't matter. Um, and the, the legend goes that Homer was, was blind. And uh, so in these discussions with, with these individuals uh, and, and with the, the man who is conducting him through these three experiences, um, he learns that there's a difference between what he is and who he is. Because he had his whole life set out before him. He was an engineer uh, and, and so on. And he, wasn't would, he knew he wouldn't be able to do exactly that kind of work uh, in, in the future, as, as he conceived of it anyway. And so um, the, the final thing wh which, which, he which he comes to understand at the end of this story uh, is uh, said to him uh, by Homer, the, the poet. Um, and uh, Homer says to him, young man, he said, we cannot control the workings of our eyes, but we are masters of our vision. And that's the message that I was trying to get through in that, in that story. Uh, we talk about people with, uh, you know, uh, vision loss and so on. Well, many of us lose our, uh, here in, in this room, have lost some or all of our sight. But there's nobody here that's lost any vision. If we had lost our vision of what we are uh, in the world and our place in the world, and our independence and our freedom, if we'd lost that vision, nobody would be here because there would be no need to be here. We'd still be back in the, in the 19th century hiding in our houses. But uh, if, if, 
Yeah, if, if you had one. But that, that story was very important to me. Uh, with different sight. It is available uh, on, on Amazon, but it hasn't been narrated. You c yeah, you can. You, you could, uh, it, it is, it is with, with a Kindle and so on. You can, you can do that. And since then, uh, Jade Hunter, Devil at My Heels, The Golden Phoenix. Novel number four is halfway through, but I've got the protagonist in such a mess, I don't know how to get him out of it. Um, and, and 13 short stories uh, and the two anthologies later. Uh, it, it's marvelous. And uh, if, if I can transmit to anybody my understanding of life uh, and the world, what it looks like and feels like, um, then I'm, I'm happy. Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity. So he's standing up, so I think I've had it. Well, we're going to stick around. Well, that's what that's where I want to head with this. But he was holding the mobile mic, see? So I needed to get it out of his hands to put it into Ralph's hands. So come back here, Charles. Don't go very far. But you've got to use the podium mic to respond now, okay? Okay, if you would. And Ralph. Good. Anybody have a question? Hi, um, thank you so much. I love, loved your talk. Um, this is Kate Crohan. Um, I'm wondering if you could give me any suggestions for um, my students who want to write and perhaps um, have some discussion with other students about writing or eventually maybe publish something, whether it's a website that you might suggest or I don't know. So thank well, you. Um, the, uh, it's, it's important, uh, I, I think, and certainly in my experience it was to, to meet other people who are interested in writing and, and like to write. And the, the major encouragement which, which I give students is read and read and read and read. Uh, read what's being published. Um, read what other people are reading. That's not a suggestion that you should write like those people. You, sh you need to develop your own voice uh, as a writer. And then there are um, uh, writers' groups that, that you can find on the web. The, the, um, uh, the URLs escape me just at the moment, but, but they are there if you turn to good old Google and find uh, blind writers' groups uh, is... Um, the good place to start the search, and and you will you will find them, and uh, to 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 get the students to be involved in those sorts of groups, and and if they have a chance to to do the critique group kind of thing that that I did, just encourage them uh, not to be afraid of that, to to go forward, to write what they know, and write how they feel because I always believe that what comes from the heart goes straight to the heart. Um, yes, I have a question. Um, I received the two books from Kim, um, and I read them in four days. I was on vacation. I love both of them. Thank you. Uh, and now you said some more. I've got to get them. <laughs> but my question is, 
is how did you choose your historical characters to weave your fictional story? Uh, because you had to do a lot of research. Well, uh, my academic background is uh, in, in history and uh, cultural anthropology uh, in, uh, in China. So I was uh, halfway there when it came to, came to China. I also have a minor in uh, European history. So that gave me the broad picture. Uh, and then I had to drill down on the particular things that I needed uh, for Jade Hunter and Devil at My Heels. Um, and the, the thing about historical fiction is that you've got to get the history right and, and then, uh, because if you don't, there's always some reader out there, some pesky bit <laughs> reader out there who will get in touch with you by email and say, that wasn't in 1789, it was in 1788. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so you have to be, um, I have to cross, I cross-reference uh, everything. Uh, dates and times and eras that I know in China and used to teach in Chinese history, I, I know them absolutely. But do I check them before I put them in a book? Equally, absolutely. Uh, I do that ev every time. The Tang Dynasty ended in 915. I know that. But I would, I've never written that in a book without making sure. Um, you just have to do that. And then it's a matter of... Um, with that backdrop or background of the actual events and the actual people to then um, call uh, into uh, your mind your own sense of creativity and develop um, characters who can interact with, um, with, with the history. I encourage everybody to read Charles? Thank you. That's very kind of you. Ralph, go ahead. <coughs> Ralph. Uh, first thing, I like the way you used Oriferous in uh, Jade Hunter, and I like the way the uh, the book ended with how I said I like the way it ended. I said I like the way it ended. And 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 uh, <clears throat> Devil at My Heels. Uh, with uh, Robert, the illustrator, I, I thought he came to a uh, oh, yes. tragic end there. Hmm. Yes. Well, uh, if the, he, he was killed by, by Julius, the, yes. the, 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 the other one there in, in the monastery. And I remember um, um, a reader got in touch with me and, and said that they were very attracted to the character of, of Robert, the illuminator. Yeah. And uh, he must have been a, a, a very marvelous young man. But why did I choose to make Brother Julius into such an absolute jerk? <laughs> well, jerks have their place in history as well. This is Josette. I um, wondered if you can get the books in an interlibrary loan, I, I get my books from the Washington State Library. Uh, I don't think you can, but you can get them through Kim. Okay, Charleston well, I'll here. contact yeah. you. Contact you. Kim. She will put them onto a cartridge for you, and you can download them into, into the device that you use and send the cartridge back to Kim uh, from, the, from the Perkins Library. That's how they're available down here. And as you already heard, lots more things will be available when you get your... 
Congress to uh, ratify Marrakesh, um, which I hope we will all live to see. Anyone else? Yes. Okay, hold on. This is Judy, and I want to ask you a question about the way characters speak. Okay. For instance, in Jade Hunter, we go from the Tang Dynasty to the court of King Henry VIII to 17th century to 20th century. Very curious to know how you decided and how you heard in your head the characters talking Mm. in all of those disparate uh, ages. It, that's that's very interesting, and, and that's a particular challenge that I really enjoy. Um, as far as China is concerned, uh, I have the good fortune to uh, be able to read Chinese, uh, and I, I st- had to study it for my graduate work in Chinese history. And so that enables me to have some sense of how... The, the words were used uh, in those times, uh, reading the, the writings of Confucius and, uh, or in his Chinese name, Kung Fu Tzu, uh, and his disciples, uh, and so on, gave, gave me that, that sense. Um, when it comes to uh, further, um, further forward in, uh, in, in time, um, the, what I tend to, tr- to do, if I can, is read things that are written at that time. Um, now, I, I don't read a lot of Latin, uh, but I have some familiarity with uh, Middle English and uh, Old English, and uh, read, read that. Um, uh, if, I'm, if I'm looking at the 18th century, I read Jane Austen. Um, so that I know, I mean, she write th- that dialogue is is genuine. It is dialogue of the time, um, and also into the nineteenth century and twentieth century, and uh, and and so on. And um, uh, as to hearing it in my head, I do that, but I also am very conscious that. Uh, and hopeful that everything I write ultimately will be available in, in a narrated form. And so I'm very, very conscious about what it sounds like as well. And uh, I, I like to use uh, alliterate, uh, alliterations a lot uh, and so on. But I, I speak all the dialogue out loud. Uh, I, I write it down, and uh, as I go through the revision process, uh, I, I, I speak it uh, out, out loud um, and make sure that it sounds all right to me and I think um, that does that does definitely make a difference the music oh 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 yes yeah something that I, I mentioned um, when I was talking to uh, to Brian and Kim is that um, when I'm writing about a particular era one of the things that I really like to do is play for myself the music of, of that time. Uh, it just helps somehow. So when I was writing in Devil at My Heels uh, about the, the monastery, I was play, uh, the uh, priory rather, I was playing Gregorian chant and plain song and um, the, the, the offices, the chanted offices of, of the church and, and so on. Uh, in the um, 17th, 18th century, I, I'm playing Haydn and Mozart. 
and, and so on. I, I, um, and <laughs> when I was writing about China, I was playing ancient uh, Chinese music, uh, and and so on. it's just I, I it just helps. That's all to to get me to 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 where to where I need my head to be um, when I'm when I'm doing that kind writing about those past eras. Charles, uh, this is Ralph. Yes. I have an, another question. Uh, mm. Given the various settings in both books, mm -hmm. did you have it in your mind how you well I'll go back and forth this way and that way, or was it confusing or? Um, how how was that? Um, well, uh, I had uh, it, it's that um, um, change from past to present to past to present and so on throughout the book uh, is is not unique to me. It, it's it's something that I I have done in all of my novels, but uh, I've I've read uh, other uh, books. Uh, I don't know if any of you have read the book uh, Longitude. Um, uh, uh, now, of course, having said that, the name of the writer has vanished. Uh, yeah, and uh, th when I read that book, uh, I thought, th now that's an interesting idea. See, he starts, he starts in the modern and, and back and forth and back and forth. And that's what gave me the, the idea. Um, and Jade Hunter, the idea of Jade Hunter and the, and the, and the, and the Jade Sculpture... Uh, and looking for the jade sculpture came from uh, many years ago when I was at the Imperial Museum in Beijing on one of my trips to China, which I, I did uh, routinely many times a year when I was working. And uh, I saw uh, a small uh, jade figure of a dragon, a, s a single dragon. And uh, it was about 500 years old from the uh, early Ming period. And I thought, how did it get here? What happened to it? I mean, who, somebody must have made it. Who did they make it for? Okay. Where was it? How, and so forth. All these questions. So I uh, salted that idea away, and that became Jade Hunter. Thank you. Um, Charles, who are some writers that you enjoy reading for pl your own pleasure reading? Oh, um, well, uh, I, I think when it comes to my interest in, in naval history uh, of the 18th century, it would have to be Patrick O'Brien and his books, uh, Master and Commander, uh, Desolation Island, uh, that, that whole series uh, about uh, Captain Jack Aubrey and uh, a, distant, uh, yeah, a Distant Shore, uh, and so on. They're all based solidly in British naval history, uh, and he is wonderfully accurate and knowledgeable about his uh, sailing ships and and so on. And uh, so he's one of my favorites. When it comes to modern mysteries, I think uh, one of my favorites is John Le Carré, um, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, uh, An Inconvenient Truth, uh, A Murder of Quality. The, um, those are, are I, I think, my, my two favorite uh, writers, uh, certainly at, at the moment. And anything that they write, um, uh, oh, and also Wilbur Smith, um, that I'm sure you know. Um, the, the, the Desert God, I've just finished, uh, which is an absolutely marvelous, it's, it's not, <laughs> there's, there's a great deal of history in it, uh, but it's not actually um, 
totally solid, but but it, it doesn't matter, right? Uh, he doesn't he doesn't pretend to be writing um, historical fiction of that kind. Yeah, it, it's fictionalized history rather than historical fiction. How's that? I, I have one more question before yes. you get the hook. I don't know what time it is. Um, have you read Louise Penny? Uh, she's another Canadian author, but she writes mystery stories. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Only one of her books, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's like 13 of them. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And do you think it was it called the Golden Phoenix? Uh, no. Oh, I, what? No, it the wasn't third one. actually. Oh, you are yeah. My my third book is, Your is, third is, is one. the Golden Phoenix. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but yes. Are you saying do, she's written one of the same no, no, title? No. No. Uh, no. Uh, Oh, no, sorry. no. Do you think Kim will get that book? Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that the CNIB library uh, will, will pick it up, uh, and, and then Kim will be able to get. Uh, okay. will be able I, to get I will bug her for it. But it's Thank also you. available, uh, um, you know, on Amazon through Kindle and, and those sorts of things. But that's a computer voice uh, rather than a narration. I get a strong impression from you, Charles. Uh oh. You're none too thrilled with the idea of people listening to books. Using computer voices. Is that a well, um, I no. I just wanted to make it clear that uh, that I draw a distinction between uh, listening to something on Kindle, which which is fine. I do that too, and something which is well narrated, which really brings it alive, as we were saying to Martha uh, today. And I uh, I would love to be able to read my own books, to narrate my own books. Um, would that I could. But I can't, uh, so I leave it to uh, to the volunteer uh, narrators at the CNIB library. But I just wanted to make it clear that uh, that the Golden Phoenix is available, but not in narrated form. Why can't you do this? Sorry. Why, why can't you do it? I mean, is it just because it's narrated? Why, why not? Other it, writers have done this. It well, uh, the the uh, the, the CNIB library operates. Uh, with its own resources and with volunteer narrators, they do the best they can. I'd like to make a mm, Yes. Um, why don't you just get the narrator during a run of the Golden Phoenix? Yeah, yeah. I, I have every expectation that the Golden Phoenix will be available at CNIB pretty soon. Charles, I have one more question. I'm oh, yes, to, yes. Uh, uh, Hog your microphone. However, mm. I liked the way you gave the American tourist some intellect in the book when he was he was at the museum. Oh. Yes, that was nice. <laughs> that was good because Americans are, are portrayed as uh, you know. But not Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he was. No, he wasn't. But but at least he he had the nous to ask the question. Um, but no. he was, I'm, I must confess that that American tourist was based on an American tourist that I overheard uh, in the Imperial uh, Museum a long time ago in, uh, in, in China. You, you have to watch out. You're around people like me. You know, you, if, if, you, if you sneeze, you'll end up in novel number four, you know. Um, and it, because all one's characters are, are, are a melding of, of people you know, people you've heard, seen, and met, and so on. Uh, and um, it's, uh, uh, it, it's, it's, a fascinating, it's a fascinating thing to, to, to be able to do. And I love it. They say that a writer is somebody upon whom nothing is lost. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 I try to do that. I try to be that kind of person. 
Well, thank you so much, Charles. That's terrific. We are told by the powers that be we have to vacate. <laughs> I, I'll, I'm hanging out here for a while. I'd, I'd love to talk to anybody who's interested. Terrific. Thank you very much indeed. Go ahead. Yes. Okay, Thank. Bless you. Thank you. Yeah. There you go. I've always wanted to read that. See, we're that kind of people. I think Charles. you'd enjoy it. I think you would. Yep. Yes. Thank you, Charles. Oh, so my much. Pleasure. So Thank much. you. So, ladies and gentlemen, again, I, I know that uh, Kim has every intention of pursuing and making sure that when it's available, we'll find a way to get access to it and complete it. Well, I can't say complete the series because I got a sneaking suspicion, one, it's not a series, and two, that it is, uh, uh, there's always a work in progress. Takes longer to impeach than simply vote the rascals out. Um, so the last item on the agenda here today says a board meeting if necessary. Several Lua board members are here. <laughs> And I'd like to, to get a consensus because, in my opinion, there's nothing we need to do today that we can't do by conference call next month. Does everybody who's a board member agree with that? Agree. Very good. So let us move on. Thank you all for being here. If you like this program and how we put it together for you this year, please let your leaders know I want more of that or, oh, Lord, don't make that happen next year, Okay. We do only put up here what we think the membership of our respective organizations want to hear about or need to hear about. So please let us know. Thank you one and all for being here. Have a good rest of your day.